0: well well good morning good morning welcome everybody welcome to unraveling the words of yahweh my name is kevin eichner so glad to have you tuning in this morning oh mercy sakes hey we're in this book of revelation and we're getting ready to start chapter 11 and uh, we're getting ready to go into these two witnesses here and uh but uh let's not forget one thing that this this revelation of Yeshua Messiah, uh, uh, I like to call it the apocalypse. That would say the the coming, the the uh, the appearing, the manifestation, even the uncovering. And you know, we got people out there, out there today that uh, it's they that they'll tell Well, you don't need to know the Book of Revelation. Uh, don't don't worry about. It. But you know, for whatever you, you're going to get rapture away. you you don't have to study. The, the book of revelation, but the book of revelation that revealing, you know, the, 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 the appearing, the uncovering. Yeah. You do have to know the book of revelation. And, uh, it's, it's so important. You know, I was, t- uh, I made a comment during the music program about, I read an article, the collapse of faith in America. And I'm just going to, just get through this article here, in 1972, a Pew survey found that 92% of all Americans identified as Christians, but the most recent Pew survey that asked the question discovered that only 63% of Americans still identify as Christians at this point. The Pew Research Center has been measuring religious identity since 2007 using a slightly different question, one wording, what is your present religion, if any, as well as different set of response options. Since 2007, the percentage of adults who say they are atheists, agnostic, or nothing in particular in the center surveys has grown from 16% to 29%. During this time, the share of U.S. adults who identify as Christians has fallen from 78% to 93 uh, from 78% to 63%. Assuming that this trend continues, it won't be too long before we are under 50%. And that's say it. That that is say it. That we see this nation, one nation under God, that we are losing Christians, and and uh, it, you know you go on and continue to read the article. It's a pretty good little article. Uh, it even uh, has in here about uh, let's see here Graham. I think Frank uh, Franklin Graham. During a recent interview, Franklin Graham warned about what will happen if we do not change course. Graham, who heads the Christian Relief Organization, Samaritan's Purse, and Billy Graham's Evangelistic Association told CBN's Faithwire, he's read scripture and knows where culture is headed. I know where we're headed, he said. I've read Revelation. I know what's getting ready to happen to this world. Judgment is coming. Graham continued, God is going to judge this earth with the rejection of his son, and there's going to be a great Price to pay. Of course, Franklin Graham is quite right. So I just wanted to show you, to share with you here, what's happening across this nation as Christianity. Satan is doing his job. You know, he he's leading us away from the truth, and the, the churches are dying. You know, ever, ever, realistically, ever since COVID, the churches are dying. Uh. Just a lack of study, lack of teaching. You know, I quit going to church years and years ago. Why? Well, because I wasn't taught anything. You know, that what I'm teaching you today isn't taught in the churches today. And it, it, it's sad. Uh, I got into this, oh my gosh, I don't know, what, th- 30 years ago, I guess. It's been a while. And I start researching, it and and I'm thinking, wait a minute, something ain't right here. And really, what got me started was, was Christmas. Uh, I was watching a program, Shepherd's Chapel, with Arnold, Pastor Arnold Murray, who's now deceased. His son Dennis is, is is now running the 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 program. And I heard him tell you know talk about Christmas, and that that the Messiah wasn't born December 25th. I'm thinking, what an idiot. So I got these materials and stuff, and I start researching, and I, I actually sent him a letter, and he responded, and I let him know that I, me, Kevin Eichner, was the idiot. And once you understand scripture and you start researching scripture, you'll find out that the scripture contains the truth, and you have to watch some of these church traditions. And then the more I got into it, and reading scripture, and then I got into the Greek manuscripts and the Hebrew manuscripts. And I'm thinking, wow, this, this isn't what the word says. Why are the churches teaching this? Uh, the rapture doctrine uh, and so forth. It, it's just phenomenal. And uh, so I've been going to this chapter by chapter, verse by verse, breaking these verses down in the either the Greek as in Revelation or, or in the Hebrew as in the Old Testament and uh, come up with my own conclusions, uh, conclusions with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. And it's driven me. And, it, and, and the research that I've done, and it, it's opened many doors. And I'm just so glad that I have the opportunity to come to you here at WRBG and share with you the research that I've done over the many years. And I just pray that, that number one, that I don't want anybody ever agreeing with me. What I want you to do is take the information that I provide you and you research it for yourself. And then you come up with your own conclusion. Uh, But I just present to you uh, some of the research that I've done, the studies that I've done over many, many, many years in Yahweh's work. All right, we're in this chapter 11 here. And and, um, of course, chapter 11 in the book of Revelation has to do with the two witnesses. And we see here that, you know, from... uh, uh, verses 1 through 14 we have the two witnesses as you hear me say many times i'm big on outlines now i want to uh please allow me to give you a quick overview of the second vision on earth here which consists of the six trumpets it's given to us in three parts now keep in mind remember where we're at time frame you know you, you remember uh, uh back when we did the seals And we created this chart, and the top of the chart, we put the sixth seal there in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. And remember we did uh, the seventh trumpet when we get there in chapter 11, verses 15 and the, the 19, the seventh vial there in chapter 16, verses 17 through 21, and then Matthew 24, 29, and Ezekiel 38, verses 18 through 22. We put that on the top of our chart. And then on the left side of the chart, we put earthquakes, sun black, moon blood, stars fall, mountains, islands move, Yahweh's wrath, great voices, lightnings, voices, thunders, and great hail. And when we fill this in using these verses, we come to conclude that the sixth seal, the seventh trumpet, the seventh vial, Matthew 24, 29, and Ezekiel 38, verses 18 and 22 all talk about the same thing. So, where are we at in our time frame here according to the book of Revelation? Well, we're definitely in the fifth seal, and we're definitely in the seventh trumpet. Oh, I'm sorry, the sixth trumpet. So, we're in that fifth seal, sixth trumpet. That's the timeline as we're coming up in here. So, what, What? Uh, and you remember when we read there in uh, chapter 9, In verse 12, well, one woe is passed, that would be the fifth trumpet, and behold, there comes two woes more hereafter, verse 13, and the sixth angel sounded. So we see from chapter 9, verse 13, all the way here to chapter 11, verse 14 and 15, we are in that sixth trumpet sound. So these two witnesses come during the the sixth trumpet and the fifth seal. And we just have to keep everything in perspective. Now, in this second vision on earth, which consists of the six trumpets, it's given to us in three parts. Number one, the immediate judgments are plagues, which follows its soundings. All right, there in chapter 9, verses 13 to 21, we're talking about the six trumpets. Number two, point number two, the episode of another mighty angel and his oath and little book there in chapters 10, verses 1 through 11. Now, the third part of the sixth trumpet is the two witnesses, chapter 11, verses 1 through 14. The connection of the three is continuous and close. It is the same angel who addresses John throughout and commands, Rise and measure is only a sequel to seal up there in chapter 10, verse 4, and take and eat there in chapter 10, verse 9. Chapter 11 and so forth is the fulfillment of the command that thou shalt prophesy, taking prophecy as being witnessed in the widest sense. The descent of another mighty angel there in chapter 10 verse 1 is, as we have seen, the formal taking possession of the earth in the name of the king of kings before actual occupation takes place, which, by the way, won't happen until chapter 19, though it is celebrated by anticipation in the next vision in heaven there in chapter 9 verse 15. Two earthly witnesses are added to the making of the claim as ascribe agents of the throne. They are linked between the judgments and men's sins, which are the cause of them. Their witness is a confirmation of faith of Yahweh's people then on the earth and a witness to the dwellers on the earth that the end is near and the interval of the delay will last no longer. What we're going to find out here, this angel takes possession by planting his feet on the sea and on the earth. Now, this would be the positive of what we read uh, there in chapter 13. John takes uh, possession by measuring the part of the territory occupied. And three, the two witnesses take possession by prophesying the divine and miraculous power these are the things we're going to find out here now just after the sixth seal there was an episode relating to the relating the protection and the deliverance of Yahweh's people then to be on earth so hereafter or at the end of the sixth trumpet There is a similar episode with a similar object to show that with all the external destruction that shall go on, there shall be the preservation of all that is essential to Yahweh's purposes and to Yahweh's people. The third episode, or this third episode, I should say, of the sixth trumpet is one whole and recorded in chapter 11, verses 1 through 14. Complete at once the sixth trumpet and the second woe. The seventh trumpet, which follows, is explained into and consists of the seven vials of wrath, which speedily prove that there is no more delay and bring on the consummation in chapter 19. I will not propose here to trouble you with all the conflicting interpretations of this chapter. Some are half symbolic and half literal. Others are just flat-out wholly ridiculous. Of course, the temple is said to mean the church, the altar, Yeshua Messiah, the porch without means, heretics, and and these fake anti-Christians. Others hold that John was not only ignorant of the future, but that he designed nothing more than to express his hopes and give vent to the remaining Jewish sympathies for the literal temple and its ritual. We're going to find out that the structure of the whole passage tells us that we are dealing with something far more important than all of this. Even with what shall yet take place in connection with the future, judgment seems preparatory to the final ejection of the great usurper from Yahweh's earth over which he has long held sway. And that, folks, is none other than Satan and his demonic enemies. Those demons. Folks, this is a spiritual battle. There's no doubt about it. Let us therefore approach this scene, not with view merely of interpreting it, but of receiving it and, most importantly, believing it as Yahweh's own interpretation of real events which are yet to take place. Yahweh is telling us of some of the marvels and of the terrible things which he will do in the day of the Lord. Remember now that John himself was in the spirit on the Lord's day back there in chapter 1, verse 10. Let us not bring it down to man's day and treat it as mere church or Roman history. This is which causes all difficulty combined with the yet greater difficulty which man ever finds be believing Yahweh. So then I got my little outline here with, you know, chapter 11, verse 1, the person's John, what he's supposed to do is measure and so forth. There's my little outline. Now, before we actually get into scriptures of this chapter 11, allow me to begin to unpack it a bit for you this morning. Let me say a few things to help you understand where the Lord is going here in this amazing record. After the interlude of chapter 10, remember where where the strong angel has vowed unto the Lord that there shall be a delay no longer, and the seventh angel will then sound his trumpet here later on in chapter 11? There's an amazing statement that's made here in verse 15, if you will just look at it at first. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, we read that the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And then we know that the final bold judgments will be poured out and the Lord will return. So we see this now in this interlude, this time where the earth will be in its darkest hour. This will be a time when not only the people of the earth have endured unimaginable judgments from Yahweh, but also, they will have endured the deceptions of the Antichrist. And when the Antichrist reaches the zenith of his power, having defeated all the opposition, as we read there in Revelation chapter 12 and chapter 13, finally the disciples' question that they asked Yeshua Messiah in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, will be answered. Remember what they asked him? Lord, Is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? His answer is yes. Now it is time. Now I want you to remember that here in the book of Revelation, the Lord is revealing the pre-kingdom judgment consisting with his covenant purposes to Israel, not the church. These events detail the original prophecy that Daniel received. You will recall from the angelic messenger. Matter of fact, there in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, we read that 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgressions. And he goes on to say, to anoint the most holy place, all of this has to do with Israel, even though we will feel the ripple effects from this. Even the time of 1,260 days or three and a half years that we read about here in chapter 11, parallels the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, and chapter 12, verse 7. Therefore, although Israel is currently blinded, you see Yahweh has judicially hardened their hearts as we read there in Romans chapter 11. All through the apocalypse, you must understand that we see the nation of Israel having a unique position of divine favor, of Yahweh sets in motion the pre-kingdom judgments. We see that they have been measured by Yahweh for preservation and protection and blessing. So again, be very careful not to fall in the era of spiritualization, this and other prophetic texts, and assuming that somehow Israel really means the church, Israel means Israel. For an example, all through Revelation, we see the emphasis on the historical Israel, ethnic Israel. You remember we, at the sealing of the 144,000 male Israelites to be his evangelistic force? They are called the servants of Yahweh in Revelation 7. Clearly, they are distinguished from all the other nations as we read about in that text. Even the tribes of Israel are described in chapter 7. And now here in chapter 11, we're going to see a distinction between those who worship in the temple and the Gentiles who will tread under food the, the, uh, foot on the, the holy city. John is commanded to measure the temple and the altar and those who worship in it. And we will understand that it's basically symbolizing his special preservation and the protection of Israel. The imagery of this judgment that we see in Revelation is undeniably associated with historic ethnic Israel. We see a judgment sent out from the Ark of His Covenant that appeared in the temple in verse 19. Later in chapter 15 in verse 5, we will see seven angels, the seven angels with the final seven bold judgments that will come out of the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven, which is another name for the Holy of Holies, In the temple. And then folks. And when the final bowl. Is emptied in chapter 16 verse 17. We read that a loud voice came out of the temple. From the throne saying. It is done. In Revelation chapter 11. Where we are at today. There are two Jewish witnesses in verse 3. That will verify the reality of the Lord's testimony. And even the plagues that sends upon the earth are reminiscent of the ones that Yahweh poured out upon the enemies of Israel through the agency of Moses and Eliah. The woman, later on in chapter 12, was clearly identified as being historical Israel in verse 5 of that chapter. The whole chapter being devoted to the persecution that she must endure as the special object of Satan and the beast and of their wrath. And yet we see the Lord miraculously preserving and protecting her in the very closing scene we see the clash in heaven where Michael the archangel Michael who is the ancient protector of Israel according to Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 he defeats Satan be very careful in spiritualizing these things it requires some serious textual study exercise to deny that this is speaking of ethnic Israel not the church Now, in Revelation chapter 11, we read here, the Lord is going to introduce two faithful witnesses who will warn the world of the final outpouring of his wrath in the horrors of hell that will be the destiny of all who refuse to repent and believe in the Lord Yeshua Messiah. But before they are introduced, John continues to participate in this remarkable drama that began in chapter 10 and ends through verse 14 of chapter 11. This morning, we're going to examine the first of the two themes in verses 1 and 2, namely the measuring of the temple, and then we'll look at the two witnesses. I have broken down this into three categories that I hope will be helpful to you as we endeavor to understand these truths. We will look at first, the inner measurement, second, the outer abandonment, and finally, the time of defilement. Let me give you some further context before we look at this text. According to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 27, the Antichrist will allow the Jews to construct another temple during the time of the tribulation. They will even reinstitute the sacrificial system, largely in unbelief, not understanding who Yeshua Messiah is. And of course, they will have to do it. This is on a site that is currently occupied, a site that is currently occupied by the Muslims, the Dome of the Rock. Paul. Paul prophesies in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that the man of lawlessness will be revealed. He said that the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of Yahweh, displaying himself as being Yahweh. And of course, This is reference to the Antichrist. Now, obviously, this prophecy requires a future literal temple being built in Jerusalem. We know that many Jews right now are preparing to do that in the great concern of the Palestinians and the rest of the Islamic and Arab worlds. May I remind you a bit of why I would say this. According to the prophecies of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, And check out Psalms 83, by the way. An alliance of nations will descend upon Israel under the leadership of Gog and Magog, and they will be supernaturally defeated on the mountains of Israel. And as we look at that list in Ezekiel chapter 38, we can see who those countries will be. And they are, by and large, Islamic countries today. But this victory will demonstrate to the world that Yahweh has a special interest in protecting Israel. It will also re-energize many Jews to return to Israel. And this will also cause the secular Jews to return, who will up until this time really have no concern whatsoever about rebuilding a temple. All they are concerned about is just everybody kind of having a big party and let's get along. That's what we're talking about here. But with the Islamic world out of the way, having been defeated, and with such a dramatic testimony of what Yahweh has done in protecting Israel, they will be willing to join in with the Orthodox Jews who say, you better build the temple. And with most of the Muslim world defeated, they will not be able to stop for the Jews from building that temple. That will send the whole world into chaos, especially here in the United States. And now, after that battle, while Israel is burying the millions of corpses of those soldiers who came upon them. Matter of fact, Ezekiel tells us it will take them seven months to bury the dead. It will take them seven years just to burn the weaponry. During that time, there will be and shall be, say, the perfect storm for the first seal to be unleashed upon the world. That will be the rise of the Antichrist, who will offer a false peace to the world. A perfect time for the world to come together together to follow a charismatic leader that will promise them the world. Daniel chapter 7 verses 23 through 24 describes that time when a one world government will dominate the world which will eventually splinter into ten governments. A new world order alliance. Far more powerful than NATO or even the United Nations. In fact, it describes the ten-nation confederacy that will thrive during the first part of the tribulation under the leadership of the Antichrist. And as we study this prophetic word, we can see that he will unite the rest of the world, primarily the Europeans, in alliance with Israel, and give them a covenant of protection, a covenant of commerce and peace. This will be, shall we say, the new world order that everyone is looking for, but will be tricked because of the goal of the Antichrist will be genocide, will be destroy the Jews and establish himself as Yahweh, as read read in, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. But dear friends, his ploy will be exposed in the middle of the week, in other words, in the middle of the tribulation, when he desecrates the temple, when he goes into the Holy of Holies and erects an idol, calling people to worship him. So now we come to this Revelation chapter 11. John is asked to measure this temple that the Jews have built. So we, so we first want to look at the inner measurement and then the outer measurement and finally actual time of defilement. Remember, folks, this book of Revelation has to deal with Israel. Are we going to get the ripple effects? Yes, most definitely. Keep in mind that we are in that sixth trumpet, setting up for the seventh seal. If you want to know when the Antichrist is coming in, check out the sixth trumpet, the sixth seal, and the sixth vow. 666. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. And there was given me, John, a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise, measure the temple of Yahweh and the altar and them that worship therein. And there was given to me by whom it's not said, if chapter 11 is a continuation of chapter 10, then we can assume that it was the angel of chapter 10, verse 5, who was standing on the earth and sea. And he was given to me a reed like a rod, a measuring reed, with, uh, which with the, the Jews was about six cubits long in Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 5. Now, with the Greeks and the Romans, we look 10 feet long. In the Ethiopic version, here it calls for a golden reed. Once again, this was given unto John, very likely by the same angel that gave him the little book, since he afterwards bids him arise and measures with it. He says, rise and measure the temple of Yahweh. Observe the word temple. Very carefully here. Naos, the holy place, not Hirion, the temple building as a whole. The two words must always be carefully distinguished. It's a pity that the the authorized version confuses them both both by rendering the temple accidental. All right, so it's a holy place. This reed was a light measuring rod. The Hebrews shavet or staff also means a measuring rod, as we read in Psalms 74, Jeremiah 10:51. In Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 3, the object was for the building of a new temple. Here in verse 2, it's for the destruction, as in Lamentations chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 21, Isaiah chapter 34, and Amos chapter 7. It's also used for protection, as in Zechariah chapter 2. Part of it was holy, part of it profane. There's no difficulty whatever if we leave the temple alone, the holy place. We say that there is to be a temple of Yahweh in Jerusalem is clear from Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse four, for Antichrist is to sit as Yahweh there. And keep in mind there what what Yahweh said or Yeshua Messiah said there in Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse fifteen about the abomination of desolation. One would have thought that the words employed here would have effectually shut out the church from the interpretation. We read of the temple, the holy place, the altar, and the court of the Gentiles, which surely have nothing to do with the church of Yahweh. Even Dr. Adam Clark admits that this must refer to the temple of Jerusalem, though he confesses he does not know what to do with it. I find that interesting. Interesting. We confess that we have no wish to do anything with it. We know that it will be rebuilt. And once recognized that these seven years may be the, the telos, or, or as Yeshua Messiah, the last seven years, some 34 years of the Santilia. You see, Yahweh has not yet done with these people, Israel. They're already though in partial blindness, as we read there in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, feeling their way back to the land and the restoration of their national uh, politity. You see, since since the year of 1896, the Zionist movement has been at work to end, this very end. We regard this as leading directly up to the longer period, the centilia, ending with the seven years of Daniel's seventh week, the final consummation. The telos. The movement will rapidly develop. It will issue in resettlement of the Jews in their land and city in partial independence, but in unbelief. It may be at first under the authority of the Arabs or the protection of the great powers until he arises, who will make a covenant with them and bring on such events as will be the crisis or the end of the tribulation. We see here about the altar, In the Jewish temple, the altar was the place where the worship centered. Without the altar, worship was impossible. Did you hear that? Without the altar, worship was impossible. The altar is taken as a symbol of worship. By being mentioned separately from the the naos, the holy place, in which the golden altar of incense, it looks as though the brazen altar of sacrifice was intended. The word will suit either. They're looking for that altar for their sacrifices. He says here, and them that worship therein. Although the Zionist movement does not openly profess to act under divine authority, that's no reason why it should not be the most religious. Therefore, there will be worshipers. Among the worshipers, the 144,000 sealed for divine protection besides those who suffer martyrdom at the hands of the beast and those with whom he makes war. Such a condition of things will be need a resurvey when Yahweh is going to take action. You see, he will separate the chaff from the wheat, Israel from the Gentiles, his servants from the dwellers on the earth. In this command with regard to the worshipers, we must recognize the figure of speech called zugma by which one verb is used of two things, and strictly appropriate only to the former. A second verb must be supplied for the second noun, properly related to it. We have here supplied the verb, take account of, for measuring, while quite appropriate to building, is out of place when used of persons. So we see John is given a measuring rod a kalamos in the greek that is a hollow reed basically that grew about 15 to 20 feet high there in the jordan valley it grows there today it was used as a measuring device we know that the angel uses the same kind of rod once again to measure the millennia temple that we see in ezekiel's visions there in ezekiel chapter 40 and of course that will be the temple of the lord himself will build As we see here that John is told to rise and measure the temple of Yahweh and the altar and those who worship in it. Once again, the temple here, the naos in the Greek refers to the inner court of the temple, the inner sanctum, the holy of holies, the holy place around. It's not referring to the overall complex of the temple. And of course, this was the place where the brazen altar stood adjacent to the holy of holies. And they will certainly build it the same way. They will furnish it in the same way. This is a place where the priests served. They even had a division there for the male Israelites, as well as division for the women, as he was told to measure and rise in measure. To this curious uh, statement, I wonder what Yahweh is up to here. Well, the way you interpret the Bible is by using the Bible so we can see in other passages of the word of Yahweh, for example. In the Old Testament, we see how Yahweh measure things or, or mark things out for divine judgment. at times he will mark things out or measure things off, if you will, to demonstrate his ownership and or his protection. As we read there in Zechariah chapter two, verses one through five, where he measured off Jerusalem to protect them. However, now in this verse, it would indicate, through context now, that he is measuring them off to protect them. Notice that there is no mention of actual physical dimensions. And because there's a clear distinction here between defining the perimeters of what exists within the temple versus the outer court of the temple, Combined with the command here to measure the worshipers, I would believe that it's safe to assume that Yahweh is symbolically establishing his ownership of what he possesses, combined with assessing the purity and the fidelity of the worshipers. Now, this is great news for John. Remember, John is languishing on the Isle of Patmos in a Roman prison colony. Matter of fact, he's probably doing hard labor. He's probably an old man in his 90s. He looks around and he's longing for the Messiah, the Lord, to return. He sees that Israel has been absolutely devastated. You see, the Romans had come in in, in 70 AD, and the time he was writing is is about somewhere around 96 AD. They have come in and killed over a million people. There were almost a thousand cities in Israel that the Romans utterly devastated. And so to think now about the Messiah. He can't come without a temple. What's going to happen here? Well, you can imagine the good news that this must have been to John to see that. That Yahweh is asking me to measure something. I am seeing it here in a vision. Now the glorious temple that John was closely aware of was nothing but a pile of rocks. Supposedly the most glorious building of that day is gone, but now we see Yahweh measuring off his people, the ones who he will protect and preserve. So here I want you to understand that Yahweh is claiming ownership of the temple, of the altar, and measuring the worshipers who would be his covenant people Israel, establishing the fact certainly that their worship is not measuring up. Nevertheless, he is marking them off as a special object of his divine favor to be protected during the final three and a half years of judgment, of his wrath, and ultimately to be reconciled to himself. Now this is in contrast to the Gentiles who are in the outer court, who oppose him as well as Israel, as as well as the Christians of that day, Those who make a mockery of the temple, and certainly will they will in the day as we make the mockery of the holy city. Satan hates us. He despises our soul, folks. It's a spiritual battle. It's a continuum. This is why we have to understand. I go into great detail of the mindset of John. He's in this vision on the Lord's Day. And there was giving me a read. Like unto a rod, the angel stood saying, Rise, measure the temple of Yahweh, the altar, and then that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out. Measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, the holy city, and they shall tread under foot, 42 months, remember, month, lunar, He said, the court without the temple. He's talking about which is outside of the temple, and therefore which is not strictly pertained to it. There is undoubtedly reference here to the court of the Gentiles, as it was called among the Jews. The outer court of the temple to which the Gentiles had access, and within which they were not permitted to go. For a description of this, we can read Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. To an observer, this would seem to be part of the temple, and the person there assembled a portion of the true worshippers of Yahweh, but it was necessarily neither the one or the other. He says here, the outer court of this temple is ordered to be rejected. The reason is given. It is given over to the Gentiles, we read here. He said, leave out, cast out. The meaning is that he was not to regard it as pertaining to the true temple of worshipers. There is indeed a degree of force in the words "render," leave out, the cast out. In the Greek there it's exbele exo, which implies more than a mere passing by or omission. The word "expelio" usually has the ideal force or impulse, as we read there in Matthew chapter 8, uh, chapter 15. In chapter 25, Mark 16, Acts chapter 27. The word here would mean some decisive or positive act by which will be indicated that this was not any part of the true temple. But as we regard as pertaining to something else, given, he says, given unto the Gentiles by Yahweh's appointment. You see, he's still in control. No matter what you think, he's always in control. Give it unto the Gentiles. In a wider sense, there are men here, the times of the Gentiles, wherein Jerusalem is trotted down to the Gentiles. As we read there in parallel, there to Luke chapter 21, verse 24. 42 months. Now, we got to look at this here. It's very important you understand when you read 42 months. Some will say three and a half years, which may be true. But we must take note. That whenever we see months, we must consider the fact of lunar. I believe that Yahweh uses months to signify the fact that we should look at the lunar calendar. In the lunar calendar, we have approximately 29.503589 days. Therefore, in a calendar year, we have approximately 354 days. Whereas the solar calendar is based upon 30 days and 365 days in a year. Whenever you see a lunar, this is always of darkness, which is Satan. Therefore, these 42 months is of Satan. Now, if we take the 42 months and multiply it by 29.503589, we have a total of approximately 1,000 1,239 days. When we get to the two witnesses, we shall read that their prophecy are in the days in the solar. The court of the temple in the city is given to be trotted underfoot by the Gentiles. It is given over to the Gentiles for a special treading down for a definite period. The period of 42 months is connected with the measuring. It closely follows it in order of time. We dare not to reverse the two events. As a period of 42 months, Alfred truly says, no solution at all approaching to a satisfactory one has ever yet been given of any one of these periods. This being so, my principle is to regard them as still among the things unknown to the saints. But why? Why does the period require any solution at all? What makes it known to, to us, a fact to us, is to the duration of a certain period. Why regard that period as among the things unknown? Secret things, we read, belong to Yahweh or Eliahem. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, as the Scriptures tells us They're in Deuteronomy 29.29. Surely this period of 42 months is among the things that are revealed. It's not a secret thing. And therefore, being revealed, we are not to regard it as unknown, but as among the things which we assuredly know that upon divine authority. The great solution, then, of this and similar difficulties is to believe that the words mean what they say, that months mean months. Forty-two means forty-two. There's no difficulty, then. All is natural, simple, and easy. The city is literal. The treading down is literal. The Gentiles are literal. Why is it not the duration the the oppression of the holy city literal also? And when this duration is given to us as 42 months, why should we read and why should it need any so-called solution? We see here the 42 months. It's coming. There's a fascinating footnote. According to Colossians 3, verse 11, Paul says, there is no distinction between Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised. So I would ask you why the distinction here in Revelation chapter 11? It seems odd. Likewise, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, we learn that the Messiah is our peace. Paul says, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. I want you to notice that the next this outer court, he says, has been given to the nations. In other words, the outer court has fallen into Gentile hands. And he says, and all they will trade underfoot the holy city for 40, 42 months. In other words, they're going to control and defile the temple for 42 months. Evidently, the Jews will be allowed after they build their temple. They will be allowed to worship in freedom, to worship as they please. But now, By this time in the tribulation, the Antichrist has desecrated the temple because of the certain animosity that he will have towards Israel. And especially the two witnesses that we read about later later on here in Revelation chapter 11. He's going to be absolutely furious with Israel. And he will turn on them. And buddy, will he turn on them? There's no doubt about it. He will turn on them. I hope you're understanding what's happening here. You see, Yahweh or Yeshua Messiah Yeshua Messiah predicted that Jerusalem will be destroyed in Luke chapter 20, verse 21, verse 20. And it certainly was there in AD 70. But the armies that surrounded Jerusalem of that day were really a, a preview of the seeds that would come just before the Lord returns. As we see in the text, we are here in Revelation chapter 11, kind of moving us towards that. The one we now see developing is the rule under the Antichrist. The world is under the rule of the Antichrist, and he is the one that's going to give siege to the city. That's why in Luke chapter 21, verse 20, Yeshua Messiah went on to describe the holy city being under Gentile control when he acts act, said actually in verse 24, they will fall by the edge of the sword, and will be led captives into all nations. And then notice this, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So we have to ask ourselves, what are the times of the Gentiles? Well, it began at the Babylonian captivity under Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C., and folks, it still exists today. But the Gentile domination will end when the Lord returns and he judges the nations that have persecuted his people and defiled his holy city in fulfillment, frankly, to the promises that he made to Abraham. You recall in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, Yahweh says, I will bless those who bless you, and those who curses you will I curse. Now, while this promise has been true that Yahweh is going to curse those that curse you and bless those that bless you, while this has been true historically for every nation that has mistreated Israel, and all you have to do is go through the annals of history and just see when this happened and what happened subsequent to those nations. Although that has been true, their ultimate and final judgment will not occur until the battle of Armageddon. And that is what we're moving towards here in the text, folks. But again, before this occurs, the Antichrist will seek to destroy Israel. We know, according to the prophetic word, that we will be successful in killing two-thirds of them, but one-third will be spared and finally reconciled reconciled unto the Messiah, their king. That will be the time when, according to Zechariah 12, verse 10, he will pour out of the house of David on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for their only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the weeping of the firstborn. This is literally reference to the wailing that occurred in Egypt At the time of Passover, when the Egyptians saw the loss of their firstborn. In other words, the pathos of their mourning, when they recognize whom they have rejected for so long, will be so deep, so severe, so painful, that they will wail over their long rejection of the Lord Yeshua Messiah. You see, what's happening? Let me tell you what's happening here. You're going to have these Jews rebuild this temple. Because, see, they've rejected Yeshua Messiah. And you heard me say over and over again, have their hatred towards him. So they rebuild this temple. And there's going to be a lot of argument because of the the dome and the rocks up there. But there's going to be an agreement made. And and thanks to people like Donald Trump, you know, who's a, a Kabbalist, they're going to move along with uh, Freemasonry, the Illuminati. When you understand that, I, I talked about Babylonian, that Nimrod. All these are key, key parts to this big puzzle. So they they're going to rebuild this temple, and they're going to start their sacrifices. Meanwhile. You got these two gentlemen, these two witnesses, walking the streets, proclaiming the gospel of Yeshua Messiah. So you see that? That's why we read there, there earlier in chapter seven about the the sealing of the hundred forty four thousand. Because as these two witnesses are performing miracles through the city, the, the streets of Jerusalem, you're going to have the hundred forty four thousand over there in Israel proclaiming the, the gospel of Yeshua Messiah. Well, what's going to happen is, now, keep in mind, the way they're going to do this is through the Old Testament. They're going to say, hey, look, look what the prophets said. Everything that's happening today, the great prophets of yesterday, they warned us about it. This Yeshua Messiah. Well, this Antichrist, he's going to be so devastated between the two witnesses And the 144,000, he's going to go on a spur. And he's going to start killing anybody that denies him. He's going to be, like like Paul writes there in 2 Thessalonians, he's going to proclaim to be the great I Am. And when he kills, when he thinks he actually kills the two witnesses, he throws them in the streets of Jerusalem, proclaiming to the world, I am what I am. And then as we get down there, towards the, the, the end of the, the, the first 14 chapters, or the verses of chapter 11, and we see the resurrection of the two witnesses, then this individual, the, the Antichrist and these false prophet, realize, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? You see, it's going to be so bad in this, this time frame, that when we get to chapter 13, We're going to find out who this one world government is and this church system. The beast that rises up. We have to keep this in perspective of what's happening. Verse 3 tells us that this will be the same time period as the time of the ministry of the two witnesses. But we find out there is a difference between lunar and solar. Moreover, once again, in chapter 13 and verse 5, Yahweh tells us about the blasphemy of Antichrist and his rule that would extend 42 months, the same period of time. So this is the time of the persecution for the Jews as they endure the defilement of the domination of the Gentiles will continue through the last half of the tribulation until the Lord returns, as we read about there in Revelation chapter 19, and eventually defeat the Antichrist and and judges all the nations and finally establish his kingdom. Why do you and I have to be raptured out? Think about this. Think of the ludicrous these churches are are telling their their thumb-sucking milk-bottle Christians oh dear brother and sisters, you ain't got to worry about it because Jesus is going to rapture. No, he ain't. Why? Everything in the book of Revelation happens in Jerusalem. Why do I need to be raptured out in, in here in Delaware, Georgetown, Delaware? The Antichrist is setting his temple up in Jerusalem. Is there going to be ripple effects? Oh yeah, there will be, because of the New World Order, the One World Government. Man, I'll tell you, it's happening. Now I want you to remember again, John's measuring the temple symbolizes the divine marking of the Jewish remnant that he would preserve during the final pre-kingdom judgments as they endure the Gentile uh, hostilities. In fact, in Zechariah chapter 13, beginning in verse 8, we read, It will come about in all the land, declares Yahweh, that two parts in it will be cut off, perish, but the third will be left in it, and I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver, and test them as gold is tested, and they will call on my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people. And they will say, Yahweh is my Eliahem. He's my creator. The creator of my soul. What an incredible message of hope. Matter of fact, Zechariah describes this again in chapter 14. In the first, four, uh, first five verses, this is what he says. Behold, the day of Yahweh. What day? The very same day that John... The, the, I, I was caught up in the vision on the Lord's day. Behold, the day of Yahweh cometh. Thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee, he says. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall Yahweh go forth, fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a very great valley, Half of the mountains shall remove toward the north, half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, and the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Aziel. Yea, ye shall flee, like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. And Yahweh, my Eliam, shall come, and all the saints with thee. Who are those holy ones? that's us folks this is reference to the second coming of the Messiah I'll tell you there are so many things that thrill me about the prospects of the completion of our salvation and certainly the most thrilling of all is seeing my Savior face to face but I must confess that somewhere in the top 10 of thrills it will be witnessing the glorious return of the Lord Yeshua Messiah and conquering all those who have mocked him down through the Redemptive history. Prior to this time and currently this very day, Satan is accusing the saints. In Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 it says, Before Yahweh day and night, many people think, well, Satan is in hell. No, no he's not. Satan spends much of his time accusing us in heaven. Notwithstanding his allegations, his efforts will be futile. Because the precious blood of Yeshua Messiah has permanently cleansed us. Therefore, it remains affected to this day. The Lord Yeshua Messiah perfectly satisfied the wrath of Yahweh. There is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Yeshua Messiah. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Wow, folks. This is awesome. This is awesome, folks. We're going to finish this mindset here as we get a little bit deeper here on these first two verses before we actually get to the witnesses. There's so much said here about the time of the Gentiles. Then this 42 months—so much more to discuss. we are living in a fantastic time folks truly we are but what we have to remember is about that grace the grace of yahweh that he that he poured upon us it's said in the scriptures there in 2nd corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 and isaiah chapter 40 verse 29 and 31. Yahweh says, My grace is sufficient for you, for for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He gives power to the weak, to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When the subject of spiritual strength is raised, our thinking often turns to one of the two directions. Either we consider how we can muster up our own strength, or we dwell on our own weaknesses, doubting that adequate strength can ever be found. Well, it is clear from the scriptures that Yahweh is not expecting that mere human strength will be sufficient for our spiritual callings. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young man shall utterly fall. You see, folks, natural strength is never more abundant than in youthful lives. Yet, even that supply is not what people need for spiritual endurances. Yahweh's word is also clear that an awareness of our weakness need never lead to despair over finding strength. Actually, the opposite is true. When we realize our drastic insufficiency, that is a reminder of our qualification to receive Yahweh's supply of strength. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, He increases strength. Those who admit that they are weak are the very ones to whom Yahweh offers His strength. Those who confess that they have no might at all are the people in whom Yahweh Increases his strength. It's amazing. It's amazing truth that Yahweh's strength. Is perfected. In other words displayed the most fully. In the arena. Of our own weakness. Once again he says. My grace. Is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect. In weakness. Whenever you and I. Agree with Yahweh concerning our complete fraternity in any given area of life. His grace is available to meet the need. Whenever you and I personally look to Him to pour out that strength, we find that is sufficient. Those who wait on the Lord, Yahweh, shall renew their strength. Waiting upon the Lord. Involves hoping in Him. Placing our expectations upon Him. And not upon ourselves. For all who depend upon Him. In view of our own weaknesses. They shall mount up. With wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk. And not faint. Thereby. Our confession can be. I can do all all things through the Messiah who strengthens me. Dear Heavenly Father, Yeshua Messiah, you are my only hope and my sufficient strength. On my own, I am hopeless, powerless. I thank you for your glorious patience. When I think my human strength is enough. Lord, I realize I am weak. Give me your power. I realize I have no might. Increase your strength in me. Father, I wait upon you. Father, I I put my expectations in you. I ask now that you unleash your glorious grace in me perfecting your all sufficient strength in my life father I ask of all of this in the name of Yeshua Messiah King of King and Lord of lords father as we walk around in this worldly flesh We don't realize spiritually how weak, how frail we are. Lord, this is why we have to come to you in that name of Yeshua Messiah. Seeking out that repentance. Asking for the forgiveness of our sins. That grace may abound in us. And as we receive that grace, we receive that spiritual strength. That spiritual power. That we're able to continue our journey. Not for our will. But for your will. Your will to go out. To reach other souls. Father for we realize it is a spiritual battle. You created all souls are yours. Ezekiel 18 4. it's our opportunity to reach out to these souls lord and bring them back into your fold father we can do that with the help of the holy spirit we can change we can bring that number back up back up to that 92% lord it is a spiritual battle unfortunately it's a battle that that we're losing It's not by choice. It's by the decision of others. But we still have opportunity. And I ask this morning that you give us a greater opportunity that we maybe go out and witness to these individuals and bring them in. Bring them in out of the darkness. Bring them into the light. The light of Yeshua Messiah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all things. In that name of Yeshua Messiah. Messiah. King of King, and Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to call me, text me. I can be reached at 302-299-2701. That's 299 Zero one.